0: I intend to brag only once in these pages, and I'm going to do it in the following sentence. No book quite like this one has ever been attempted before, all the more reason to try and explain how it first came about. Last November, on what used to be called Armistice Day, I saw a photo in our newspaper of the folk singer Pete Seeger, an elderly Pete Seeger with an infantryman's cap on, not singing or taking part in a demonstration, but gathering with other World War II vets for his town's annual parade. Pete Seeger, the living legend. Pete Seeger, who had outlasted all his critics, all those who tried to muzzle him. Pete Seeger, who, when I was 14, I admired greatly, to the point where I bought all his albums and memorized his songs, this at a time when all my friends were listening to The Beatles or Petula Clark. I found the photo, and what it stirred in my memory, to be tremendously moving, so much so that I decided to sit down and sketch out a nostalgic essay about the role Seeger had played in my young life. That same week, my then-14-year-old son Matthew received a remarkable piece of snail mail from New Zealand, He collects autographs, mostly sports stars, but occasionally from survivors of the all-but-vanished past. He had gotten one from Max Schmeling in Germany, almost certainly among the last the famous old heavyweight signed before his death. Now, when he carefully opened the envelope, he found one that was even more special, the autograph of Edmund Hillary, the first person to climb Everest fifty years before touching a piece of paper he had touched, seeing his bold, confident signature, Ed Hillary, thinking how generous it was of him to reply to a boy's query half a world away. All this excited me even more than it did Matthew, and it got me explaining to him how, when I was his age, Sir Edmund Hillary had been one of my greatest heroes. Two nudges now, two little proddings. The third... The one that completed the process and got me started was my daughter Erin calling from college to say they were reading Willa Cather's My Antonia, my favorite novel from one of my all-time favorite novelists. I had gone through a real Cather phase as a young writer, which overlapped my Conrad phase and my Chekhov phase, and even my Proust phase, to the point where the mere mention of those names as my daughter found out during our phone conversation, could get me raving on and on about their miraculous and inspiring art. In short, there came a point this past year when I realized that I had greatly admired a good many people in the course of my life, not just relatives or friends, although I admired plenty of those, but heroes and heroines from the larger world, some famous and celebrated by almost everyone others obscure and forgotten, except to me. People who had entertained me, inspired me, educated me, consoled me. Men and women who had enlarged my appreciation of beauty, sharpened my courage, made me feel honored to be their fellow human, served as my role models and mentors. Further, as a writer, I'm always looking for a challenge, some new and difficult way to frame experience And so out of these converging threads, a question started gnawing away at my habitual inertia and reluctance, to the point where I began thinking about it constantly. Was it possible, I wondered, for a person to tell his or her life story exclusively in terms of who they had admired in the larger world and why? Possible to write a memoir not in terms of the usual autobiographical fodder, but by praising the heroes and heroines who inhabited your own personal pantheon of greats, possible to reveal your innermost self by writing not a confession, but a celebration. I believe it is possible. We live by our admirations, Emerson said, and his aphorism is the guide principle behind this memoir.